And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Especially hello because it's a great day every single Thursday. We have a very special show. We have one guest joining us for a full one hour in studio. And we have a studio audience, which is just so fun to have here. And they, if I don't talk too long, they actually get the chance to ask our guests some questions. I have to let them have an opportunity because this is just a really exciting day. Our guest today in studio with us is named Kevin Freeman. He has been on this show quite a few times. I don't know how many times, but the reason he's here today, among other things, is that he is an author of a great, great and relatively new book called According to Plan, The Elite's Secret Plan to Sabotage America. This is what it looks like. And yes, I ordered it off of Amazon and you can too. In fact, I have this version and I got the version that is on my Kindle. And both of them are just, it is a great, great read. Before we turn to talking with Kevin, I want to introduce him a little more. Uh, a little more. Um, he is a CFA, is considered one of the world's leading experts on economic warfare and financial terrorism. And he hosts a show, he hosts a, his own podcast called Economic War Room. And he is a, um, he's been consul he's consulted around the world, uh, briefed people in Congress, the intelligence community, the SEC, the Departments of Defense, Homeland Security, and Justice on his extensive search on the global economic warfare. And the reason this really matters is when I will tell you that when I first met him, we've known them for years, this idea of economic warfare didn't seem like a real thing or it seemed kind of a uh, kind of a side issue, you know, that sometimes foreign powers try to do something to us and, and maybe we do things back to them. But he has really helped America and the world really wake up to the astonishing consequences of economic warfare being engaged in at all sorts of levels that many of us probably never even thought about until really exposed by Kevin Freeman and, and explained in great detail. So this book, this new one, is According to Plan. Um, he is also the author of a previous book, which uh, called Secret Weapon. I think it's the first time I remember. So Secret Weapon uh, became a New York Times bestseller, and it has a second book called Game Plan, an Amazon bestseller. So he brings his extensive knowledge um, of economics to the issue of defending America from economic warfare. Please help me welcome to the show, Kevin Freeman. Thank you, Debbie. You, you have such a great audience, and it's fun to see the people here live. It, it, it really is. It's a very special experience. Well, you are so, I'm glad you could be here. I love the audience too, just so fun to have. Well, I will tell you, I do want to talk about this book. And, and as I will tell you, as you can see with the extensive stickies, I have a lot of places I want to go with it. But I wanted to start overall, a, really the most genuine compliment. I, I actually am fairly wonky and I will read a lot of really detailed things that most people would find boring, but this is so well written. This is well written for somebody who's, and the reason I want to comment about that is you could read this and really grasp the points you're making without having uh, an extensive deep interest in economics and economics background or even really a political orientation because your ability to take in and describe historically what has happened with totalitarian tyrant type people who want to control the world, how they think, how communists think. You walk through things. I mean, you're, you're left with the overall impression of what's happening in America is very alarming, but you lay it out in really simple terms. And, and the title is brilliant, According to Plan, which we're going to talk about a bunch of times, because a lot of what we watch happening in America, people think, well, 
the government didn't mean to have that outcome, that just it was a accidental or it was collateral damage. And you make the point that what we are watching, which is really the economic and Marxist takedown of America, is according to plan. It's a brilliant book. It's a book you should give, my happy listeners, you should give to people for Christmas who don't necessarily understand anything about politics. Just hand it to them and say, after you read this, we can talk. Okay. I, I'm, I'm really... I'm, <laughs> well, I'm so grateful you said that. The, the point of the book is to connect the dots. And, and we designed it so you can get a buy one, get one free at accordingtoplanbook.com forward slash EWR for Economic War Room. And we designed it so you could get a copy to read and a copy to share because the average person sees something happening in Afghanistan and they say, oh, wow, we just really blew that or the border or, or, or taxes or inflation or, you know, any of a hundred different topics. And I'll say, well, you know, it just happened by accident or, or it's incompetence or maybe it's according to plan. And what we tried to do is lay out in the book that the plan did call for what's going to happen and it has happened as they called for it. And we try and do it in a way to help the reader. Uh, I learned this in psychology class. If I were to tell you uh, A equals C using a mathematical equation, A equals C, you gotta believe me. You'll say, well, I don't know if I believe that. And you'll push back. But if I use this approach and say A equals B, and B equals C, I wonder what that means about A and C. You're gonna immediately jump to A equals C, and I can't talk you out of it at that point. And that's what the book is designed to do, is to help our friends who are good people that just don't see what's going on around us destroying our nation. They say, you know, all right, Republicans win, Democrats win, you know, things, no, no. This is a planned, perpetrated takedown of America by the enemies of the United States, not just one, and they're not totally coordinated. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they don't, but they hate America because America stands for individual liberty, and by standing for individual liberty, we stand against their totalitarian control. Exactly, perfectly said, yeah, I love it. Uh, I will tell you one thing in the book uh, that I like that you did First of all, the uh, intro or the foreword um, by Ben Carson was also really good. I mean, Dr. Ben Carson, who it was great. But I love that you made this analogy early on to George Orwell's writing and Animal Farm and the pigs. And because most people in America, or many people have read that book, and plus it's a great, I want a double entendre explaining who these people are, but the use of uh, the people throughout history, and you run through, uh, I will just briefly tell our listeners, you run through the Soviet Union, communist China, uh, people historically who've had the agenda of just totalitarian control, the kind of communist mindset, and this agenda that has existed in America, at least since the close of World War II, where you have the American Communist Party saying, yep, this is what we plan on doing. Here's how we're going to do it. And you're watching a plan be executed. And because they don't, don't announce it and put it on the front page of the New York Times, people don't see it. So I, I love your point by connecting the dots. But then the other piece of it is, and I want to get into a lot is, but they're getting a lot of help internally from America, from Americans, some Americans, and America. So um, I guess I want to start with that. I, I want to tell our listeners, I do realize we have a massive issue breaking in the news all the time about FTX, and it's such a big story that um, I want to promise you we're going to get to FTX, because it is a, a huge story and, um, and, and enormous consequence to America. But I do want to focus on your book. So. This idea of, I mean, this is, 
the reason I, among many reasons I just love this book is because I think that people, I think the vast core of Americans, they want America as it's supposed to be. They want America the free, they want America the just, they want equal opportunity, and they, they, are, they buy into arguments that will take away their freedom and they don't even know it. First, do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. So talk about that a little bit. How have the communist, the communist agenda, how has it seeped its way into American society? Well, you know, first off, people will say, oh, come on, you're a conspiracy theorist. So right. I will challenge them to Google the term 45 goals of the Communist Party USA. And you will find a thousand sources for it because it was entered into the congressional record in 1963. So I was two years old when this was put in by a Florida congressman. Before that, it was written in the book, The Naked Communist, in 1958, I think, by Dr. W. Cleon Skousen, who wrote The 5,000-Year Leap. That is a man I knew. When I was in high school, my dad drug me around because he was the Oklahoma director for the National Center of Constitutional Studies, NCCS, also known as the Freeman Institute, and Dr. Skousen thought it was just perfect to have my dad, Kerry Freeman, heading up the Freeman Institute in Oklahoma. So I got to sit through his lectures a hundred times. And I got to fill in the blank on the miracle of America and the making of America and all of that. And he would continuously refer to this document that he had, the 45 goals of the Communist Party USA. And yet, when you read them today, you say, those aren't goals. Those could be the 45 accomplishments of the communists. Capture one or both of the political parties is one. Another one is degrade art. Make art no longer meaningful and patriotic and beautiful. Make it meaningless. Uh, make it ugly. And we've seen that happen with art. Pornographic. Infiltrate the schools. Uh, remove prayer from schools. All of these things that have been accomplished. Uh, make it so Hollywood is infiltrated by homosexuality and that every program has to feature homosexual actors and actresses. There's, again, repeatedly examples of that happening. So it's not a goal of the Communist Party any longer. It's an it's a accomplishment. That is such a good point. And actually, for our listeners, this is, I, this is one of the many pages I had marked because it really does make your point. You're right. You said a moment ago, well, people went... People who are conservative say, we're watching, I, I use the expression on my show, we're watching the slow Marxist takedown of America. This is what is happening right in front of our eyes. And I, I'm, I've been saying that a while. I will say maybe 10 years ago when I would say things like that, you, people in the audience would look puzzled, like, what is she talking about? But I do think more people are waking up and still millions are unaware. But you're spelling it out, um, this... Uh, Page man, page 72, if you have this book, is spelling out what you just described. The, the Communist Party actually looked at America, the communist movement in the world, and thought, we're never going to take them down militarily. We're not going to defeat America. But we can destroy their culture from within and, and went through a list of things which are now happening right in front of us. Racial tensions, Black Lives Matter, you can trace some of the funding. You've had guests, Trevor Loudon and others, they can trace it back to the Chinese Communist Party. You can go back in the 1930s and see documents where they intend to stoke racial tensions in America. It wasn't that long ago that you had Morgan Freeman on television talking to 60 Minutes, I think it was, and he said, you know what, race isn't a problem anymore. We've kind of overcome that. Well, that was, you know, 
15, 20 years ago. Now, of course, race is a massive problem and you're afraid to say anything. You don't joke anything. You don't do anything because you'll be called a racist. Yeah. 20 years ago, that was extinguished in American life. And yet it's been brought back and it was brought back by the Communist Party. Uh, it, it's a stellar example. It's a great, great example. There was another, we, we mentioned, you probably talked about this too in your show, uh, Manning Johnson, who was oh, a yeah. black American, got sucked in by the Communist Party and became a American Communist Party, was a spokesperson telling it the future of America, the future of, is communism. And then he realized after, I don't know how long, a decade or more, realized they were just using him. They didn't care at all about uh, inequality or concerns of the black community. He was just a way, he was a, a tactic for them to attack America. Well, that was before, before our lifetime, Manning Johnson was, but in our lifetime, Eldridge Cleaver, another person I knew. He was a Black Panther. He was number two in the Black Panther. My father introduced him to him. He, he had, um, was really extreme radical in California. He left the country, lived in Cuba, lived in Russia, came back and said, this is a lie. And he said he'd given his life to Christ and he started changing. He believed in capitalism and free markets and the Constitution. And he, he eventually be, actually became a Mormon, but he said, I reject all of communism. It is a complete lie. And, and yet he was the head of the Black Panthers. You know, people today hear Black Panther and they think of the uh, Wakanda Forever in the Marvel movie. There were really a terrorist group known right. as the Black Panthers that was before Black Lives Matter uh, that was causing riots and, and all sorts of trouble here in America. And he was number two in the organization and he realized it was a complete lie. That's an amazing story. I did not know you knew all these people, these really profound historical figures. That's very fun, very, very exciting. Uh, back to your book in the beginning, very quickly. You mentioned some people in the start, which I think are, you know, people in America, we tend to take our country at face value. We take politicians, they say they believe X. We think, well, okay, they believe X, they believe Y. No one likes to think they're being played or manipulated, but really what you bring out in this book so well is we get led along, Americans get led along by promises and you know, expressions of concerns of social justice, expressions of some other concern, which most people tug at your heartstrings. Of course, I'm in favor of justice. How, who could be against that? But when you recognize it is a pulling of the strings of American society, and that has roots all the way back. I mean, you, you do a great job talking about George Soros, who's you know the original bad guy. Uh, but you also talk about other people who, uh, oh, uh, Yuval Harari, which is um, in the whole Great Reset. This is all intellectually tied together, connected by dots. You connect the dots to get to this point. This is a movement, an unspoken international movement targeting America to, to cause us to stop believing in our country and our freedom. Does anybody really believe that when Barack Obama says, I believe marriage is between one man and one woman, that's what he believed at the time? Absolutely not, but he lied to the American people. Or if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. These are continual repeated lies uh, to tell us what we want to hear and then gaining power then to implement their Marxist strategy. You know, I think it was a really hard thing, especially for Americans to criticize Barack Obama because he was the first black president, because he had a very friendly demeanor. I, 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 my tentacles of suspicion went up when he first was speaking. I didn't, there's something that I didn't like, I didn't trust. 
But for many people, he was, you know, he is eloquent. He is, uh, had, spoke with passion. He spoke in uplifting terms. And he really was, and maybe you don't think this, but he really was the one who kind of normalized Marxist thinking at a national level in America. Maybe there were others, but that's how I see him. He, he has a communication ability that the current president, his vice president, does not maintain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but most people, that's true, most people have, are better communicators than our current. <laughs> but he, he, no, he, he, he really was smooth and good. He still is, and yet, on day one of the Trump presidency, they opened an office in Washington, D.C. that was titled Resist. And they had an entire plan to take down the existing president. Now, if we did that when, Barack, when um, Joe Biden was elected, if we had done that, they would call us seditionists. Yes. They would attack us for that. Uh, he's very smooth and very powerful, but they, most of them are. Patrice Coulours and all those of Black Lives Matter, they don't tell you that their point is that they want to get enough money so they can live super well and they can be loved and adored by the media and build big houses with the money that's donated as Marxists. A Marxist shouldn't want to have a big house, right? They should want to share everything. No, that's not true. They, they are Marxists and they're elites and that's why I call them pigs and I really struggled with calling them pigs. I know the Orwell analogy, but I prayed over it because there's a passage in the Bible, in Acts, where Paul comes along and he calls uh, one guy, he sees you're whitewashed, and he was going to say SOB or something, and he gets interrupted. And when he gets interrupted, the person says, do you realize that's the high priest? And the apostle Paul backs up and says, I did not know I apologize, because the Bible said you shall not speak ill of a ruler of your people. And so I'm like, I can't say Nancy Pelosi's a pig and all, I can't do it. And... <laughs> And then I realized, wait, they're not rulers. They're servants in America. We, the people, are the rulers. We put a constitution in place, and they're office holders under the constitution serving the people. And the Bible's perfectly clear that you can call out a wicked servant, and that's what we do. I, I, you know, you made that point in the book, and I love that point. We are the sovereign. The people are the sovereign in America. I love that. You know, you talk a bit about, I'd love to have you elaborate on it in this book, about how, you know, when Marxists and socialists and communists spew out what they believe, they're always talking about equality, making things fair, and they just, the, the message is very alluring to people, especially if you're impoverished. You think, oh, they're going to help, you know, kind of make things more even. But just elaborate a little bit, tell some of the stories you did about early on, in other countries, how the Marxists, the communists, they're never living like the people they are governing. I oh, love per perfect example is Hugo <clears throat> Chavez in Venezuela actually did grow up poor. I looked in his background. He actually was poor. His parents were poor. And he wanted to get in, and he claimed he wanted to get in and bring equality or equity. Um, when he died in a pseudo-communist state, at least a socialist state, he left a fortune worth maybe four or five billion dollars to his daughter, who's one of the richest uh, women in the world, and certainly among the richest in Latin America. And how did she inherit that when all he did was public service? His entire lifetime was public service. Where did he make that money? Of course he made it by stealing it from the people like all tyrants and all dictators do. The rest of us suffer underneath. This is nothing other than a medieval feudal system that Karl Marx came up with, and he came up with, he looked and he said, I'm not willing to work hard enough 
to become wealthy and successful. I don't want to put that much effort into it. What I really want is I want to be among the haves versus the have-nots. How can I get there? And he said, you know what? We'll create class warfare and they'll love me and they'll put me in that haves. The guy was a dirtbag living off of his friend's family's money. He didn't believe in any equality. He wanted him in a superior position. Actually, yeah, the, there are books about Marx. I'm sure you've interviewed different authors written recently about Marx. He just, he was a mess and a cruel human being. Just, I mean, you, people elevate Marxism. Well, he must have been this noble intellectual thinker. He was not at all. He hadn't worked in his life. He, he was, yeah, he was. He was in a many bomb. Ways. He, he was a bomb. That's a good word. He's, that's a nicer word than I was thinking. So I will tell you. So back to this whole idea about America, because I think that right now it's, it seems to have reached a uh, like a crescendo or something. I mean, we're watching the, in my view, the Biden administration, which I see as a third term of the Obama administration, because it's just Biden carrying out the kind of Obama tendencies. We're, it really seems like it's come to the fore more that more of the um, left is willing to identify pretty straight out with the Marxist agenda. You only have a few people in Congress who will say that they're members of the Democrat Socialist Party, but we are watching the Marxist agenda take over the Democrat Party. It, it is, is the Democrat Party. You wrote really well about that. Love to have you just describe a little bit how Marxism invaded and then actually became today's Democrat Party. Well, no matter what you think of John F. Kennedy, he was not a communist. He absolutely was not a communist. He believed in lowering taxes. He believed in a strong American military. He hated communism. Uh, we call him a dino in the book because mm -hmm. uh, he's actually not a dino. He is a true Democrat. We call everyone who's come since, like Barack Obama, like Joe Biden, they're dinos. They're Democrats in name only. They don't really believe in democracy. They really don't. And by the way, we, of course, do not have a democracy. The democracy's mob rule, 51% yeah. and you literally take over everything and control everything. We have a republic, a democratic republic. We elect representatives. But we've had historically the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, and both of them loved America. And, and you could even see labor unions that would fight with America for freedom. And you can go back in, even in the, in the 1940s where you would see yeah, uh, what you would say, you know, these are mob type people fighting for America because they loved America. Not today. We don't have, a, Barack Obama was seen with a book that he carried uh, that was about after America. It was after yes, America. I can't yeah. remember the title of it specifically, but he carried that around. These people do not believe in America in any way having an ascendant position. They're all sold out to the World Economic Forum. They're all sold out to Klaus Schwab's vision, which is a Marxist vision. Uh, and America is just one among many nations. We're no longer exceptional. And so they are actually trying to, to land the plane softly into communism. They're trying to bring it down. So, and Jimmy Carter was the same way. He wanted to take us into socialism. He said the Soviet Union was going to beat us. He essentially said that. He didn't say we're going to win. That's why Reagan made such a splash. He said, I've, I've got a rule for the Cold War. We win, they lose. How about that? <laughs> yep. Tell me why, I mean, you elaborate so well in the book on this, but why is it that the communist movement in the world, I mean, you have many players, but it, either they're leaders of countries that are communist or socialist. Why is America, why, why the determination to focus on America, to take America down? Why can't they let America be America and they can be communist somewhere else? Uh, America is the target because America is exceptional. 
and I gotta be careful to define exceptional. This is something that we picked up from Rush Limbaugh. I had a researcher brought it to me and said, Rush Limbaugh defined America's exceptionalism very uniquely, and it's the way our founders would have seen it. America is not exceptional because our people are better. How can our people be better than the rest of the world when we are the rest of the world? Go into any city and you see people from around the world there. That's who makes up America. America is exceptional because we believe in individual liberty. And that is unique. That is where the individual has value and purpose. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness at the individual level, not the collectivist level. And I'll give you one example that makes America exceptional, and it's it, both theoretically and practically. In the original Constitution, it wrote that we would, the Congress would grant patent rights to inventors. And the first patent law was signed by George Washington. Mm -hmm. And it said he, she, or they could invent something and have patent protection. So this is the first use of pronouns here, right? He, she, and they. <laughs> At, but what's key in that is it, it meant that an individual could be female or male. Only two choices there, he, she, and they. But um, the, a female could invent something and should have patent protection. This is before women had the right to vote, but they can invent something. Why is that so important? The British science societies of the day dominated scientific thinking, and they were all collectivists. And so if you disagreed with them, you got no funding, you got no opportunity. In the United States, we've had tendencies to go that direction a time or two. And in the early 1900s, the greatest science scientist of the day from the scientific society was out presenting a paper that man would never fly at the same time Orville and Wilbur were piloting at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. The science societies, the collective wisdom is often wrong. The individual creator, entrepreneur is right. And that's why on your show, when you broke that incredible Dr. Bartlett's silver bullet for COVID, the society said he was wrong. And yet look how much the individual, how many lives the individual saved. The ability to have dissent against the scientific community, the technocrats is what made America exceptional. They hate that about America. And you'll see that's one of the very first things that leftists and progressives want to eliminate is thinking by individual people. That's what makes America exceptional. That's why they hate us so much because individual liberty is the greatest threat to totalitarianism ever produced. Great answer and great truth. You know, this, uh, we talk about all the different ways the world is at odds with each other, but the concept of collectivists who impose tyranny versus the right of the individual to live in freedom you can't have that in the same society. One or the other idea must prevail. Well, Dr. Barlett broke the whole part of the COVID narrative, right? Because he was breaking, and you have other heroes who broke that COVID narrative, that scientific consensus, and now the truth is eventually coming out. Had that not happened, had we not had a court system, the three branches of government, we would have all been forced to take a shot. And that is economic warfare, because the way they enforced it was you'll get fined, or you'll lose your job, or you'll get kicked out of the military, all economic weapons. Absolutely are. Um, I do want to turn to talk about economic warfare in a minute, but um, I want a, a couple of summary points about what you had to say. The book 
the title of the book, According to Plan, just a brilliant idea that please don't watch everything that's happening and assume it's all uh, well-intentioned and innocently intentioned. Do not assume that bad consequences just were unforeseen or unintended, that actually we are watching a plan unfold in America to take down America. And it is a plan, it's an ideological attack, as many avenues, uh, the institutions of education, all other many vehicles that were used to take down America, but they really were laid out and we really are watching them happen. Um, and where we are today in 2022, where we have, you know, Biden agreed to be vice president under Obama. Uh, my view, Obama, maybe you could give Bernie Sanders some credit too, but the two of them at a national level kind of legitimized Marxist ideas and the Democrat Party has been overtaken by them. The, the formerly, you know, Democrat and Republicans used to be that expression I mean, playing within the 40 yard lines, but they're not. I mean, today's Democrat Party is utterly embraced Marxism without saying so, without no. changing their name. No question. So Bill Clinton, actually, he got rebuked in a midterm election with Newt Gingrich and he backed off of socialism and socialized medicine. And uh, he said the era of big government is over. Yeah. He got rebuked because he was a politician that knew he got rebuked and he, oh, I got to play between the 40 yard lines, essentially. Barack Obama swept in and never looked back. He never, he, he didn't care if Republicans signed on to Obamacare, didn't matter to him. And Biden is the same way. They, they know how to use power. They grabbed power and they know how to use it and they know how to maintain it. And that's the challenge. Yeah. Among the other um, invasions of America, this uh, Chinese Communist Party, Chinese invasion of America, there has been just a, a contortion over decades of what students are taught about America versus what they're talk about, taught about communism and socialism. So academia has been really um, impacted. And you have a Chinese Communist Party invasion at various high levels of federal government where you just you think these people, because they hold these positions, surely they believe in the Declaration of Independence, the idea we're all created equal and we all have rights from God. I always add, simply because we were born, I mean, rights of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And to think that people hold what is ideological untenably, untenable compared to America, and they hold positions of power, these things are, are things that, that people have to understand to understand the war that we're in. Yeah. I, go ahead. You want to say? Uh, yeah. The, you know, the, do they believe in the Declaration? I doubt they've even read it. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I want to, you know, because I, I do want to get to the um, FTX scandal, but I want to, one other great thing I love that you did in, your, uh, in the beginning, you laid out some things historically. And again, this is written if you aren't a big student of history and you don't want to read, you know, uh, volumes and volumes. It's a relatively, it's a, an easy read, it's a clear read, uh, and, and I can't commend the book enough. Um, you run through the, uh, the um, people in history who have just embraced these ideologies that are now attacking America's freedom, China, Soviet Union, then Russia, North Korea, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, all of them follow this, the tyrants or the, the Marxist ideology thinkers take power, they all have money, they all end up being in the ruling class, they don't live like the peasants do. It's even kind of true in America. I mean, you think about Pelosi, Obama, these people have developed a, a vast net worth and are not living under the policies that they are touting and pushing. Want a quick comment on that? Yeah, no, no question about it, because uh, in one case, they'll do corporate insider trading that's illegal for all the rest of us. But in Congress, it's not illegal. Nancy Pelosi knows 
we're about to pass a package and she can determine whether it even comes up for a vote that will help the semiconductor industry. And then her husband goes before the vote takes place and invests in the semiconductor industry and they make massive profits. They all in her office, very um, moderate, modest in their income, and they leave very wealthy. Now, contrast that with Congressman Louis Gohmert, who <laughs> entered wealthier than he's going to leave. It's cost him dearly to be a part of Congress. But all of those on the left, they all get rich, every one of them. And then as soon as they leave, they get put on these boards of big corporations and they get, so General Flynn, for example, called me shortly after he, he left the Defense Intelligence Agency and I was gonna have him come in and speak. He said, well, I've gotta go interview, trying to get a board seat. He could not get a seat, a board seat, in any major company because he was conservative. Everybody else that retires the Lieutenant General heads the DIA, they walk out really comfortable. But if you speak up and you stand up, you're not paid. That's, that is the corruption that we see happening today. Yeah, the corruption in Washington is simply unbelievable. Um, and I wanna mention also another great thing about your book toward the end, because, and I get this every time in speeches or after my shows, the number one question is, what can we do about it? Tell me something to do. And your last chapter I, I, is just wonderful. I actually did the little QR code thing. And I want to tell our listeners, I, I don't want to spend much more time in the book because I have the other big topics. But one thing you do in your book is talk about you know, what you can do as, a, as an American citizen. Once you realize our country is really trotting down the path dictated by the communists, making changes uh, overtly and subtly and intellectually and ideologically, and we're losing the idea of America right as, as we sit here talking. Uh, and so you wanna do something more than just read the book and be better informed, you wanna do something. So you offer this idea, um, the idea of the Serve the People Act. Uh, you wanna quickly comment on that? Yeah, the Serve the People Act is, is really a basic um, idea that we should demand that those who serve us in Congress actually do their job. They read the bills. They actually have to live under the same laws as they pass. They, have, we, they don't get paid uh, unless they do their job. In fact, if they don't balance the budget, they take pay cuts. Just like any other chief financial officer or any other representative in any other level, they don't get paid for not serving the people. They do get paid if they do serve the people. And, and that's the basis for it. It's, it's demanding. It's aspirational. I doubt the Congress will take up the legislation that we've identified, but we can push them that way. And we can say, this is what you should stand for. So the Serve the People Act, it really is important that we stand up and say, you're our servants. You are not our masters. And when they realize that, if we can ever get that through to them, we'll get treated better. Love that. You put a QR code, three or four, right in the book. I did the first one. This was when the Serve the People Act and signed the... Um, the petition. petition yeah, right. and that, that was a great idea. Uh, the second one is one of your just kind of uh, signature items. I do want to offer you a couple opportunities to tell about uh, weaponizing your money, and which is something you talk about regularly, um, including the idea of having your financial advisor be sure uh, that we're not through our own wealth and investing of our wealth helping the bad guys, helping the communists. So do you want to talk briefly about that? Well, right now we are helping the bad guys through ESG. And I know you and I have talked about that before. Uh, we're literally promoting Marxist principles, eliminate fossil fuels, which would make us dependent on China. Uh, S is social justice, critical race theory, which is destroys the fabric of this country. And the G is the governance agenda requiring quotas 
on every board of directors to have so many women, so many minorities, so many uh, LGBTQ. It's a stupid way to run a company. You want to have the best, most qualified people there. We're funding that with our investments in BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. If you own any of those funds, they're voting those principles on the, on the boards and in the corporations. We instead tell people that they should promote LSV, liberty, security, and values. And how do you do that? Well, get a financial advisor that understands the difference between ESG and LSV and will redirect your investments that way and redirect your spending that way and redirect your giving that way. Uh, and the average investment advisor may say, I don't know how to do that. So we created an institute and we train advisors at Liberty University, the largest Christian online university in the country. Liberty University is training, and, and if, if we can train 10,000 financial advisors, stockbroker, CPA, uh, um, uh, financial advisor, insurance agent, if we can train 10,000 of those to redirect money, we'll change the world. This is something the left is not even close to being prepared for, divesting from the evil and investing in the good. And that's what we're training advisors to do. That's weaponizing your money. I love that. And your ESG description on the G part about governance, the whole notion that BlackRock and others are basically forcing corporations, if you want to be able to be, to, to be profitable, you, your board has to meet the following standards. It is so contrary to the whole idea of free markets, of a meritocracy where you're going to reward people to put them on the board because they are really good at whatever the business is that you're doing. You want to have them with the people most capable of leading a business to success. And instead they're saying, no, it's going to be, I mean, it is so contrary to the whole notion of capitalism and a free market economy. And it's, they've institutionalized this. The NASDAQ, the National Association of Securities Dealers, you know, like NASDAQ listed, yep. they require that of companies now. You have to have a certain number of minorities, certain number of women, certain number of uh, LGBTQ. And they'll adjust that over time. It starts off very small, camel nose under the tent, but there will come a time where they say that you have to have at least 50% uh, women or at least 20% LGBTQ. In your employment or in your board or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, it is the craziest thing. It is a social justice agenda. And again, it tears away at the fabric of normalcy in America, of families and of just the whole concept of a society where individuals live in freedom. I, it's, it's simply mind-blowing that they've gotten this far with it. I actually remember a few years ago, Frank Gaffney was talking about um, BlackRock, and um, I can't remember the guy's name. Larry Fink. Yeah, Larry Fink. And hey, isn't he aptly named? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. If his middle name were like Pig and then Fink, no, okay. Anyway. <laughs> But this is. I think Rat would be a good middle name. Oh, Rat would be good. Larry Rat Fink. Oh, that would be good. We should. <laughs> okay. I commend this book for our listeners. I, I just can't tell you how rich and full and persuasive and, and just an extraordinary book. But I do want to hit our other topics with you uh, in this time we have before I have to let this audience people have questions. Um, but one thing that is obviously dominating the news, I, it's FTX. It's this uh, guy, Samuel, um, I think it's Bartman. Bankman-Fried. Yeah. And his cryptocurrency appears now major Ponzi scheme scandal. Can you describe what this is? Because right, by the way, for, did you realize that they actually, among the things this guy has made, made all this money with, he is the second number two investor uh, and supporter of Democrat causes right after George Soros. Oh, yeah, $40 million yeah, huge. in this last cycle. And he also donated, it's so weird, to Senator McConnell. Okay, now, 
why don't you tell us what crypto, what is this whole deal with FTX and the cryptocurrency? Well, FTX is a means of conducting transactions in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. It's an add-on business to the idea of the blockchain in Bitcoin. Um, and he created this, took it public, and was worth 20-some billion dollars. This one guy. This one guy. Now he's worth less than a billion dollars, probably negative net worth, because it was a fraud. And, and what they were doing was just shuffling money. But a lot of the money, if I understand correctly, and I have not researched this in detail, but I've read news reports that suggest that a lot of the money, the American money going into the Ukraine went through FTX. And so it was a money laundering operation, potentially, for the politicians to take taxpayer dollars, supposedly supporting the Ukraine, and siphon off for the, beyond his $40 million stated public overt contributions. And money funneling its way right back from Ukraine to the pockets of Democrat Congressman and Mitch McConnell. Okay, uh, so at the FTX thing, and now I will tell you one frustration people have in, in modern America, it's hard to think who's going to investigate this with credibility and determination. It's the same thing with electronic election fraud, all sorts of issues where people are upset, but you feel concerned that the Department of Justice isn't really on the side of the American people. They and certainly don't want the truth out. Exactly, and so who can investigate this and, 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 and bring some consequence. So I was looking, my, I was talking to my dad the other day and he said, oh, did you know Bill Self, the coach at Kansas, has been suspended as the uh, coach for four games because of recruiting violations? I thought, really? I didn't know that. Bill Self used to coach at my alma mater, University of Tulsa. And I thought, always thought he was a stand-up decent guy, played at Oklahoma State, really terrific guy. And, and, and wow, he got suspended. So I looked it up. And you know why? No. Because the FBI did an investigation into the corruption of men's basketball. And I stopped and I oh. thought, wow, that's where the FBI is going. <laughs> you get handed a laptop, right? And the laptop has crime after crime after crime on it and they've held it forever and they cover it up and hide it because it's the president's son's laptop at the time, the candidate's son's laptop. Right. And they cover it. They don't have time to investigate that. But boy, they were looking at men's basketball. And as a result, Bill Self can't coach four games at Kansas. It this is, is where the, this is, the FBI is trying to justify their reason for existence by attacking pro-life people and showing up with guns blazing uh, and attacking basketball coaches and looking at all sorts of things that are diverting to the public away from the attention of actual corruption, which we can document. Anybody can go look at the laptop. It's all over the internet. The right. guy, the, the Hunter Biden has been caught doing all kinds of shady things and it implicates his dad over and over and over from Ukraine, <laughs> Russia, and China. Exactly, the big guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it really, on a serious note, talk about the decline of America. Um, you know, as a lawyer, I, I really do feel like I d deeply appreciate the concept of rule of law and equal justice under the law. And when you have a kind of, uh, they're not just anomalies you just described, they're just outrageous hypocrisies of who gets investigated and who doesn't. You can start to feel this is what we used to mock banana republics for or other countries that just didn't have a standard that applied to everyone. And it is, it is, again, it's part of the denigration of, of America, the destruction of America. Okay, I'm going to get to questions in just a moment. One other thing I wanted to say, CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, and this concept uh, 
we were talking, I think, before this show started about how a lot of people can think, well, this is just kind of modernizing the monetary system. You know, we originally had bartering, and so, you know, I grew corn, I'll trade you for some of the milk that your cows have, and we bartered, and that was a little bit inconvenient after a while. So you had to have other ways you exchange value. So you exchange value because we come up with money and right. dollars, and the belief a dollar symbolized something backed by gold for a while. And so people think, okay, well, it's just the next step. We're gonna, instead of this inconvenient cash or even credit cards in my wallet, we're just gonna have a central bank and digital currency. And so it's, it is um, talked about as a means of progress. And uh, Biden did some executive order in February, mm -hmm. I don't know when it was, but basically told the, the Fed they need to start working to, to develop this, to, to get it in place. And there's apparently even a trial run going on now. Yeah, it's happening. Bank of, uh, Fed, Federal Reserve of Bank of New York is doing a trial run with a dozen different banks to issue and test digital currency. So please describe, and number one, what, this, what that really means uh, pragmatically. And then the second is, why is it a threat to our freedom? Well, we have digital currency now. The vast majority of the commerce that we do is digital. It, it can be done with Apple Pay, you tap your phone. It can be done with your credit card. That just is electronic. It's ones and zeros on a computer somewhere, and the vast majority of it. But it is all based at some level on this, which is a Federal Reserve note. And the Federal Reserve note actually has a serial number on it, which is pretty cool. The difference between this being digitized, I deposit in the bank and then I use it, is that this serial number, they can, tra they can trace, they can track, they can keep, they know exactly if I pay you or where it goes, and they can track exactly this $20 bill or $20 of digital currency. And when they do that, they then have control. They can imagine if you receive this and the government decided that you weren't worthy to have it. And so they knew that serial number and they said, that isn't valid. That's not good. We're not going to allow you to use it. Or they said that serial number is owned by Kevin Freeman. And therefore, because his cholesterol tested too high, when he goes to the steakhouse, he can't use that to pay for a steak. Or they can say, you know what, we need to slow the economy down because it's a little too fast, like the Fed is doing now by raising interest. Hey, we'll have a brand new tool in our kit. And that is, we can make all numbers, all these serial numbers, we can make that money not good for 90 days to slow the economy down. Or they can speed it up and make it good immediately. Or they can say, Kevin, you, you live in, um, in Tyler, and because you live in Tyler, your money's only good in these zip codes. And outside of those zip codes, because we're going to keep you there, it's, it's kind of a quarantine because of, of, of a disease or something. They have complete, call it programmable money, weaponized money. That's the difference between what they have now and what they want to have. And here's the other thing, is they don't even have to bother with a printing press. They just create it out of thin air, assign a unique number to it, track it, control it, they know everything about every transaction. You know, we're worried about the IRS knowing about $600 transactions and the bank has to report them. You put central bank digital currency in place, they don't need $600 limit. They can track everything everywhere all the time, know exactly what you're spending on, where you're giving it. They can take it out of your account and give it to somebody else's account in reparations. They can say you're the wrong skin color so you, you're, you don't get money or you're the right skin color and your money's worth twice as much and they just automatically dump 
double it. It is complete control, central control of the economy. It is revelation type stuff with the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without it. It is the scariest thing that can possibly happen, and they're going to road test it right now. And by the way, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Everything I said that they could do with this, the Federal Reserve has said, wouldn't it be exciting? We can do this if we get this in place. They They've admitted it. Yeah, they see it as a plus. So really, the central bank digital currency is yet another tool along the road, taking away freedom to tyranny, to the governments in charge. They will know they can control they know what you do, where you spend and what you do, and they can control the value of it. They can limit your use of where and when you can use it. It is a, it's a tool of tyranny. Complete tool of tyranny. Fortunately, the founders left us a little secret hidden in the Constitution yeah, that ahead. we're hoping to exploit. Actually, do it, uh, can you describe it in two minutes? Uh, basically, Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coins tender within the state. It gives Congress the ability to print money, coin money, and so forth, and states are not able to do that. So a state can't print their own money. They can't make a coin out of nickel and copper and gold and, and say this is worth so much because the founders didn't want every state having their own currency unless that currency was based exclusively on gold and silver, which is money. In the history of the world, gold and silver have always been money. And they created this little provision for transactional gold. And fortunately, in Texas, we have a Texas bullion depository where you can store gold. If we add to that a transactional capability that the internet, that digitization, the CBDC technology allows, we could apply it, guarantee privacy, allow you to have something backing your money it's in the Constitution, and the federal government can't interfere with it. It is an enumerated power of a state to do this. It is our solution to the central bank digital currency at the state level, as so many of the solutions to fight back against federal tyranny are state powers. And that's what we need to do. We need to enact it. I've done a show on this. I've, I've written on this extensively. I'm happy to talk to anybody about it. It is in the Constitution, and we have a Supreme Court ruling Briscoe versus Bank of Kentucky, 1837, that says, yeah, a state can take in gold and silver and write certificates that can be used like currency. Okay, so do we have a bill pending in the Texas legislature yet? I hope so. If you know people in the Texas <laughs> legislature, you tell them to get behind this. We, we colloquially call it the digital Texan, but it could be a digital Oki or it could be a Floridian or any other state can do this. This is our pushback to the Great Reset and the Federal Reserve. Okay, so we have the opportunity for people in the audience to ask questions. Uh, the, the microphone's over here, and the two things I'll tell you, if you have a question, to raise your hand, and then if you have the microphone, speak right into it, because it has to go out, not just in this room, but um, on air, and speak right up. And, be, and while you're thinking about what your question is, I will just tell you one thing I, I want to mention. I hear people comment, and I say it myself, we're, you're describing here what's happening to America, the infiltration of communist ideology, the taking down of many fundamental tenets of American freedom. How close are, I mean, I don't mean in years, but to my sense, the next few election cycles are, you cannot overstate their importance to, to reclaim America. And, and I wonder how, how urgent do you see all of this, how urgently? Well, it's obviously very urgent because regardless of what you think of how the elections took place, once uh, the Marxist communists take over a locality, they change the election rules 
to favor them so that they harvest ballots or they extend voting hours forever or they go into nursing homes or whatever they do. Uh, and the, the Biden administration went in on college campuses and set up federal money enrolling students on there. And then they use Google to convince the students that, that, that their viewpoint is right. And they take over a place so you never take it back. Uh, one exception was Virginia, but Colorado, uh, uh, Oregon, Washington, California, you look at these places that have, were once conservative states and they've, you know, Ronald Reagan came from California. Yeah. Once they take control, then it's almost impossible to take it back and they're creeping across the nation. So if we don't stand now, uh, America, as we know, is gone. It, this is our fight. It, it is. And I harp on my show so often about election fraud and election security. And what you're describing is exactly right. The mindset of the leftists is, I actually, we are supposed to be in charge. We are supposed to rule. Almost anything justifies our path to getting there, including uh, massive election fraud, which I believe explains the midterm outcome. But well, once they get in power, it's no longer election fraud because they changed the rules. They so use COVID to change the rules so that it's now legal. And they're just doing what's legal. And then the federal government, as soon as they take control of the federal government, they will pass because Congress has the ability to oversee elections. They'll pass a law that, that enshrines. Now, the funny thing that happened is they thought they were actually going to gain ground. The Republicans thought they were going to gain ground. The Republicans are winning over traditional Democratic voting coalitions. And so they're having to go manufacture ballots from, from unfound places. And, and right now they just kind of crashed and we had a stalemate. In, in the last election. Yeah. I did see that, I think it's Mark Fincham, this, the Secretary of State candidate in Arizona, he's not giving up. Carrie Lake's not. I think in certain states it was, you, I agree with what you said. In certain states, I believe it went past that to just flat out, we're going to find a way to manipulate this. Uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona being a great example. She hasn't conceded yet, thank God. Okay, so we have questions. We have hands up. There you go. Thank you, Kevin. This has been really informative. Um, so I have a question about cryptocurrency with Texas. Right now, the Texas Blockchain Council is meeting in Austin, and the big proponents, uh, big cheerleaders are Ted Cruz and uh, Tan Parker, and then Governor Greg Abbott signed two bills trying to make Texas be a leader in cryptocurrency. So I see that as a way to, to usher in the global currency. How, do you see the same? Yeah, my thought is, um, I, number one, I don't believe cryptocurrency is actual currency. I, I believe what it is, is it's a blockchain technology and it's a potential investment. Uh, but if you see Bitcoin goes from zero to $60,000 and then drops to uh, 15,000 as it's done recently, in a relatively short period of time, that is not a stable currency. And so it, it, it will not function properly as a currency. And Texas, uh, you know, advance the technology. God help them advance the technology. I think that's good. But it is not a monetary system that Texas can implement because Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coins tender within the state. And so... We couldn't go on a cryptocurrency system here. If we want to, the federal government could shut it down like that. They can say this is interstate commerce and we control it and they would, they would stop it. So should Texas be a leader in developing cryptocurrency? Maybe so, because the Democratic Party who's been leading it like Sam Bankman-Fried has, has, has literally used it as a means of theft. 
and, and, and um, I don't know how else to describe it. Maybe it's not theft, maybe it's just a complete incompetence, but it collapsed completely. Uh, so I, I, I love the liberty and the freedom that comes with the anonymity, the privacy and all that, but we can implement that right now under the Constitution and we don't have to have blockchain involved. It can just be gold and silver coins deposited in the state of Texas, and then they give us a debit card. It, that functions right now. There's a company called Glent out of Switzerland. You can deposit gold in, Glent, in Glent's vault, and I can go tomorrow and, and eat at McAllister's Deli and pay for it with my Glent debit card. I saw that. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I did take more time. I should have some other questions. I'd love to have some. I can't. Wait one second, hold on. <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been so interesting. Uh, Debbie, you were saying that, um, and uh, Kevin, you were saying that uh, Obama is so glib and so persuasive and so convincing when he speaks. He speaks with such authority and such, and it's, he's just a very charismatic fellow. But I didn't see his first debate when he was first running, but I did see the second one on television. And I was watching, and he said, someone asked a question, he said, this is a rich country. Our children can have the best education ever. Why can't we start them in nursery school? And this is a rich country. And then a couple of more questions. And then another question came, and he said, well, we cannot leave our children with all this debt. This, we have too much debt in this country. And I thought to myself, now, which is it? Are we an indebted country or are we a rich country? And then I realized this man was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He was speaking for effect. You couldn't believe anything he said. And I turned off the TV and I never listened to him again. But, but, why, but why don't people think critically? Why don't they listen to what people say? And then they could, I mean, this is, this is how you know if someone's telling the truth or not. That's a red flag. Yeah, well, my daughter, when she was in elementary school, I think it was, maybe, maybe junior high, I had, a, I had a friend. I, I want uh, Bernie Sanders. Why? He's going to give me free college. And she said, who pays for it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Where does the money come? And no critical thinking whatsoever. And, and, and she said, look, somebody's going to have to pay for it. It'll be the government, which means you and I are going to have to pay for it. So you're either going to pay for college and get to receive what you paid for, or you're going to have to pay for yours and everybody else's college in the form of taxes. There is no free lunch. When Barack Obama became president, I think our debt was like $10 trillion in 2008 when he was elected. And our um, debt now is $31 trillion. And this whole idea of the notion is we're a rich country and therefore we've got to be generous. And so that's the same argument they're making at the border. We're a wealthy country. We need to take in as many people. It's the same argument that they take in every case. And it always leads to totalitarianism and debt. You know, I realized one quick thing for all of our listeners. I wanted you to get to plug your show. I think what you're holding is... It, uh, this is Kevin's show, Economic War Room. Uh, oh, Battle Pad, that's actually cute. Okay, so that's his Economic War Room. I urge everyone listening, um, wherever you are, to tune into that and, and check out that website full of information. Um, and we actually pretty much are out of time. One thing you said earlier I want to uh, commend or just talk about again quickly. It is so true. If you uh, have a bunch of facts marshaled and you lay out bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, and, and you are kind of a C, you know, people, they may take it in, but they feel like, no, you can't tell me what to think. But if they think they came to a conclusion on their own because you planted seeds 
and they drive home and they think, well, you know what? I just then they, they are more convicted by it once they figure it out themselves. So and I think this book, I, I really am I'm, I'm so impressed with it and grateful for it. Uh, again, for our, our listeners, uh, according to plan, the elite secret plan to sabotage America by Kevin Freeman. This is that kind of book. It will actually, you can read it and, and garner many facts and connect dots maybe you hadn't thought about before. But it's great to pass along to others and let them just start thinking through what happens because um, we are an extremely crucial phase in our country. We, uh, you know, we talk about states being taken over by the left, and it's hard to take it back. Countries that go down. Venezuela, I don't know if they'll ever get to come back again. I mean, they, they went down from being one of the wealthiest countries in South America, uh, all sorts of land of promise and opportunity, to they are breaking into zoos to eat zoo animals. This is with the level of poverty there. It, it, it's simply, and, and so you're not, you know, socialism sells itself as being kind, and that's why we just care about the poor. It creates the most misery in all of human history, even imaginable. Second Chronicles 714 is the path back for Venezuela and for America. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them forgive their sins and heal their land. That's the hope for America and Venezuela and every part of the world. That is such a perfect ending to the show. Thank you, Kevin Freeman. And for our listeners, I want to thank you so very much for tuning in. One great thing, people ask me, how can I help your show? Share this link. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Grab this show link. Share it with your 100 best friends. This is how the show goes. This is how truth grows. And so I would appreciate if you do that. I thank you for tuning in. Uh, next Thursday is Thanksgiving. We're not doing a show. The following Thursday, we have joining us Kelly Ward. She is the GOP chairman in Arizona. And as you know, Arizona is still a hotbed. Carrie Lake has not given up on her uh, quest to be the governor there. Neither has Mark Fincham, secretary of state. It is ground zero, in my view, of massive electronic fraud and election fraud, generally speaking, and really visible electronic fraud. I mean, visible fraud where the machines weren't working, or they worked perfectly until election day in the Republican districts, they didn't work. I mean, Kelly Ward, I cannot wait to tell you all about it. So that is two weeks from today. That is Thursday, December 1st. And for everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-